We're in Romans chapter 8 today, and then we'll have a two-week uh, vacation from this with uh, Jeremy Fraser here next week. And that'll be a perfect time, so I want to get through Romans 8. It's kind of an accordion thing, so we'll do what we have to do to get there. <clears throat> because um, we want to start a new section in chapter 9 concerning Israel. So let's open with a word of prayer, okay? This seems a little loud. I don't know if it's loud to you guys or not. Okay. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your grace that you've uh, abounded to us so generously, especially in the person of your son, Jesus Christ, that uh, we could be rescued from the uh, snares of sin and uh, ultimately condemnation. And we just thank you for that, Lord. We just pray that you'll be with those in our midst in times of trial. We think of Josiah, that you'd relieve him from the pain of his uh, post-surgery, allow the medication to work. And uh, we think of Dwayne Swanson as he uh, is waiting um, his uh, surgery on his back and uh, the pain that he's endured now for such a long time. And we think of Tom Peterson here today, and we know the pain that he has been suffering in. And for any others, Father, that uh, are in the throes of uh, medical challenges, we just pray that you bless them. Pray you'll be with us, be with your word today. I, I pray, Father, that your word would be effective in all of our lives. <clears throat> and that we would uh, choose to be true servants of yours, slaves of Jesus Christ, and uh, forgo the things of the world that uh, challenge us every day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Romans chapter 8. I, excuse me a minute. <coughs> I tried to cover it. But... Um, We're in Romans chapter 8 today, and it's the final chapter of a group of, of uh, chapters that deal with assurance, uh, the assuring us of the hope that we have in the gospel, and of salvation that we have that's eternal. And um, in chapter 5, if you recall, we, we dealt with the hope of glory, and Paul told, talked about the abounding grace that we've received. And we listed all these blessings that we had from salvation and how grace abounded, that huge umbrella, if you will, of grace that extends to so many areas uh, of our life and so many peoples. And uh, it's, it's beyond, at least it's beyond my uh, ability to even understand or think of uh, what it all incorporates and how uh, God has done that especially when we look in the mirror and see who we really are. And uh, yet he has chosen to do that. And then we saw chapters 6 and 7. Now chapter 8 kind of is an extension of chapter 11 as it deals with um, the blessings that we receive. And in this case, in chapter 8, it's a blessing of the Holy Spirit. Um, but 6 and 7 were a little bit of a trail that he took that talked about the issue of... Um, Freedom, freedom from the bondage of sin, freedom from the bondage of the law. And uh, both of those things 
he spent uh, a, a fair amount of time on. Now, as I see Romans, and I'm not an expert, but as I see it, the chapter, the chapter breakdowns are, are pretty accurate. And I know last week I had uh, a couple of people approach me afterwards and ask if I felt uh, ganged up on or beat up on, and I said, no. I said, that, that doesn't bother me in the least. And the whole issue was the, the, the end of chapter 7, and I was going to say this last week, but I decided rather than say it in the, kind of the heat of the moment, we'd let it bypass until this week. But the last part of chapter 7, there was uh, the uh, area of, uh, of discussion. Number one, that's good discussion. I think that's just excellent. And we know there are things in the Word of God that are a challenge for us to understand. We hear Pastor talk about that uh, quite frequently in his messages, where there'll be areas, and he'll talk about areas that he's kind of 60-40 on, or 70-30 on, or some are 50-50 on. And uh, that's, that's got to be true of all of us, if we're students at all, of, of the Bible. Because there are things that are difficult to understand. But uh, the one thing... You know, I, what I brought forth last week, uh, I said, through my Christian life, I have always understood that to be Paul as a Christian and his struggle with sin. But I've never been comfortable with the tenor of those verses as I read them. I've never been comfortable with that, and, but I didn't really have an alternative. Well, Dr. Doug Moo, who's um, uh, you know, he was a professor at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School for 20 years, and now he's a professor at uh, Wheaton College in the area of graduate school. And uh, he's, been in, he's been in the ministry his whole life. He's in his 70s. And he's the one that brought forth this idea uh, because of, and he had, he had strategy why he brought that forth. And the only thing I'll say there is that the end of uh, Seven chapter, verses 21 and on, um, it never really shows victory in Paul's life. It shows this, this issue of struggle with the things of the world, and uh, uh, we should never go through our life with these struggles without seeing victory. And uh, because that chapter very much pertains to the law, and if you remember the first verse there, he says, I speak to the people who know the law. Now, we know that's primarily Jews. I think it's also Gentiles, especially those who were out of the Old Testament called God-fearing Gentiles. They, they knew the law of Moses quite well. And we're talking here in a time in the late 50s A.D. where uh, churches had been around already for a number of years, you know, going clear back to Christ's crucifixion, of course, so he's talking to people that know the law. And that's where Dr. Moo came out with this idea. And my point of bringing it up is this. When we, when we see things in the Bible that are difficult, and we see those who have spent their life in languages, you understand the verb tenses, you understand the nouns, and all these, uh, the language part of it that's being used, and we see different uh, thoughts on that, I think it's good for us to at least pause and grasp some of those ideas. Whether we agree or disagree, at that, at that point isn't, isn't really the point. It's the point of understanding that there are things that are difficult 
So we want to we wanna be open to those processes of education. The easiest thing I could have done last week, and I'd been comfortable with actually, is presenting as Paul as a saved person. And uh, going, because that, that's, that's been part of the historic uh, processes of that portion of scripture. But I really felt that Dr. Mu had a point, and a point that persuaded me to rethink my position on that. And I think that's, that should be open to all of us, and I believe it is open to all of us, to, uh, to look at those things. So that's, that's why we went where we went there. And Dr. Mu, as I read his book, uh, uh, his, his books, I, I am more and more uh, drawn to him. And Pastor actually is the one that encouraged me to, uh, to utilize one of his uh, commentaries on Romans. And uh, he's very highly thought of in the area of, of Romans. So today in chapter 8, we're going to look at the freedom to experience life in the Spirit. And there's four, four breakdowns here. Verses 1 through 13, the spirit of life. Verses 14 through 17, spirit of adoption, uh, one of my favorite areas. 18 through 30 is the spirit of glory. And then 31 through 39 is our security that we celebrate in Jesus Christ and in the work of the spirit in our life. And uh, the, the cause of celebration that we can have in our life as, as Christians. And we should have. So hopefully, as we go through the, this, this chapter, we can we can kind of a survey it with the idea of some form of uh, excitement and uh, energy and uh, encouragement that we can have in our Christian life as we understand the work of the Holy Spirit. So let's take a look here in uh, chapter 8. <clears throat> he says, There is no, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And we know that we have this wonderful blessing that we saw in chapter 5, which I think these two uh, kind of uh, uh, dovetail together, chapter 5 and chapter 8. And we saw the ble- wonderful blessing that we have in, in chapter 5, and the freedom from condemnation and the indwelling of the other comforter, God's Holy Spirit, that he gives us upon our justification and like I said, it's a refreshing detour from chap- chapters 6 and 7. But the word condemnation here is unique to Romans. Uh, Katakrima is the way I would understand to pronounce that in the Greek. And I'm no expert, but I, I looked that up to get some idea of what katakrima, of how it's pronounced. But it's only used in Romans, and it's a judicial term. And it's a judicial term that renders a, vict- a verdict of guilty and the penalty that comes with that guilt. And we, we, we talked about that earlier, the issue of condemnation. And we are all born under that condemnation. And we are ultimately guilty of sin, so we suffer the penalty of our sin, and we suffer the guilt that comes with that. And I think we've all probably been in a position where even before we are saved, uh, most of us, especially if we are saved as adults, where you felt this guilt that came from things that you did. And you felt that guilt, that conscience that God gives us. And here Paul is saying that we no longer have that. We're judicially freed from the guilt that we have in, uh, of our sin. Now, we should still feel guilty when we sin, but we're freed from that guilt and that penalty that has been there 
from the very beginning. And how? Through the justification that we have, which uh, here we can see explained, because you see in verse 2 and 3 it starts with the word for. And more and more I learn when I see for, just like when I see therefore in some other terms, you, you, you want to pause and take a look. And why are we free of that guilt and condemnation? Because of the spirit of life that has set us free. So the spirit of life, we can have a life free from that condemnation because of Jesus Christ and because of the indwelling spirit of God that we have. And in verse 3, we see something that we want to take a look at that's a little unique here. It says, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. <clears throat> what does he mean when he says the likeness of, of sinful flesh? That's, that's what's uh, accredited to Jesus. Why doesn't he just, why doesn't he just uh, uh, read it like this? Sending his own Son in sinful flesh. Anybody else? And that's, that's exactly right. Jesus was in the likeness of us. He looked like us. If he was here sitting at a table among us, he wouldn't be sitting at the table, he'd be up here. But uh, he would look like us. And he suffered all the, the indignities of humanity and uh, the, the temptations of, uh, of humanity and uh, Satan's uh, presence in this world, and he suffered all that, but without sin. And you can, and I, you can mark this in your Bible, because it says, in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, another phrase that would be good there, and as a sin offering. As a sin offering. Jesus was our sin offering. Now, we talked about that before. We talked about the, the uh, uh, mercy seat and the blood covering once a year uh, that Israel had. Jesus is our mercy seat. Jesus is the mercy seat. And Jesus, because of that, he was the offering that was offered at that mercy seat. In place of all the offerings that had gone on through the whole, not the whole Old Testament, from the time of, uh, of well, actually, yes, from the whole Old Testament, offerings that had, been, that, that had been given. And he did this. So as all men succumbed to sin in the flesh... Christ did not. And the penalty of our sin, condemnation, Christ became what we are so we could become what he is. And we're going to see that when we get to the end of this chapter when it talks about the joint heir and the sonship and the adoption we have. And to think that before God, we are going to be in Christ and we are going to be, we're going to be heirs to all things that Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God is, is just, just kind of is a, hard to even imagine or fathom. And even talking about it, I feel guilty that I even think that I could ever be there to receive that. But that's what we have in Jesus Christ. First, verse 4, then Christ has fulfilled the entirety of the Old Testament law. And verses 5 and 8, 5 through 8, contrast 
the issue of the flesh and the spirit. Take a look. And we're not going to read the whole thing. But look in verse 5. It comes down. It says, set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who are of the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. Then you go down a little further and it says they set their minds on the things of the spirit. And this is the contrast that he's giving there. Those who are saved, uh, there should be a distinction in their life that they set their minds and thus their activity on the things of the Holy Spirit. Versus those who had set their minds on the things of the flesh and they live out those things. And we probably all met people that said, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus and I'm saved. And yet their activity is such, their, 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 their daily lives are such that their minds are set on the things of the world and the things of flesh. Now we can't judge and, and we, we overuse that word sometimes because if you go to Corinthians, we're, we're told as Christians that we can judge all things in the spirit, which we cannot perfectly do. But we cannot judge and condemn somebody. I can't go to somebody and say, I condemn you to hell. That's a judgment that is outside of my parameters. But I can say, based on your lifestyle and what you enjoy as part of your life, it appears that you're not saved. And sometimes we shy away from that because we don't like conflict. We don't like confrontation. And I think we're going to be sorry for that someday. And we stand before God that we were that hesitant and that uncertain of our position to really challenge some people in their lifestyles, and especially those that we're close to. So a person who, who exhibits a constant mindset of the world and sin, verse 7 says it, uh, we'll, we'll read the word of God for it, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It is hostile to God. And we see that more and more in our world, don't we? Especially right here even in the United States and the way things are going. Well, you know what? It doesn't do us a bit of good to get all inflamed and upset over politics. Because as much as we want to be responsible in that area, the reality is God's in charge. Do we believe God's sovereign? How many here think God is sovereign? Okay, well then he's over sovereign, he's sovereign over everything, including our country and the political realm. God is sovereign in all those things. As we see our nation walking in the flesh and appealing to the things of the world, that should be a sense of sadness because that is, a, that is a definitely an identification of unsaved people. And that becomes, that should become our field of evangelism. That should, be a, that should be a wide open field of evangelism for us. And uh, verses 9 through 11, we see uh, you as he addresses the church there. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh. Talking about the Roman church. The spirit of God dwells in you. And we're going to go down to the, the bottom there of that section in verse 11. He says, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And that's a promise that we have. And just think, someday we have dead relatives, dead friends, uh, people that we love, people who are saved. And that fact that the promise is there that their mortal bodies and our mortal bodies are dying. 
Every day, we're dying a little bit more until we finally succumb to death if, if Christ doesn't come back in the clouds. But the reality is, those mortal bodies someday are going to be brought back to life. And they're going to be brought back to life in a perfect sense. A perfect sense. As Jesus is. And then... Um, Verses 12 through 13, this first section, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, because, again, he's repeating, but death, um, but the Spirit of God has put to death the deeds of the body, and you will live. So we have that promise here. The demand here is for us, it's, it's clear for us. We should have a lifestyle that consistently can be seen as growing in our Christianity, becoming more and more separate from the world and attached to Jesus Christ. And that should include everything in our life. And we know that. We've talked about that before as a wealthy nation. That's, that's everything we have should belong to Jesus Christ, and we should view it in that fashion. Okay, in the second part, we see the spirit of adoption. And I'm going to read uh, partial verses from Galatians chapter 4. You can look at them sometime. Galatians chapter 4, 3 through 7, because they, they kind of fall in line with what we see here in chapter 8. And I'll just, I'll just acknowledge those things in chapter 8 and read what we have here in, chapter, in Galatians. In Galatians, now Paul has written this some 10 years before, before he's written uh, uh, Romans. And he says, verse 3b, we are in slavery under the elementary principles or spirits of the world. We were enslaved to the things of the world, he says in Galatians chapter, in verse 3, chapter 4, verse 3. In verse 4 he says, In the fullness of time God sent his son of a woman under the law. We see the same thing for both of those in, in, in Romans, the beginning of the chapter, verses 2 and, and 3. Those things, same things are reiterated. We also see in 5a of Galatians, he says, To redeem those under the law. And that's the same thing we just uh, read here in, in 3b. It's in the likeness of sinful flesh and first sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Why? God had done what the law couldn't do in sending his son. We're redeemed. We're bought back from the marketplace of sin. Galatians 4 verse 6 says that we might receive the full rights as sons. Now, here we're going to read uh, in chapter 8 here, verse 15 and on. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and have children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow or joint heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And so... Going back to Galatians, he says here in verse 6 that we might receive the full rights as sons. And he's talking to the Galatians, a Gentile area. The group of churches there, they're a Gentile area. And you can imagine uh, some of the Jews that came up from Jerusalem to protest his uh, apostleship and so on, for him to stand before Galatians and say that you might receive the full rights as sons of God. That would, be a, that would be a horrible thing for them to, to hear, and they would protest it. And the same would be maybe with some in the, in the Roman church that are, are, uh, are still traditional Jews and not saved. 
But then in 6b, in, in uh, Galatians, he says, because we are the, our sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls Abba, Father. And we saw that in, in verse 15 at the end. The, the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And then in verse uh, 7 in Galatians 4, he said, So you are no longer a slave, but a son, also made an heir, or joint heir. And that's the same thing we see here in verse 17. And that's the promise that God has given us. And Paul's reiterating here in, in Romans what he already had uh, written in Galatians, and some of those Galatian, uh, those, that Galatian letter may very well have been passed around and already been at least accessible in some way to uh, the church at Rome, just with people transferring back and forth, or traversing back and forth. But he's repeating that thing here about adoption. Now, <clears throat> that's very near and dear to us, and some of you also, we have a granddaughter that was adopted. And I can remember my wife and I were with Brad and Murr. They lived here at that time before they moved back to Pennsylvania. And she got the phone call that this lady was going to have this baby in six weeks and that she was willing to do a private adoption because she knew the state was going to take the child. Uh, she had a 13-year-old or 11-year-old, something like that, that was adopted already, a 4-year-old that was in, in child service care. This baby would be taken the same way. She'd also had several abortions in between that time. And she had an issue with alcohol and drugs. So anyway, they had six weeks. I remember they got attorneys in Minnesota, and they had to hire attorneys in Pennsylvania to work this. And by God's grace, it got done in time for Murr to fly out there, be with her for a week before she had the baby, and actually cut the umbilical cord. So it was a very dear and precious time to us, and now that girl is graduating this week, shame on her, uh, growing up so fast. But the issue of adoption, and I can remember, this is a biracial girl. And even within our family, there were some people that, you know, over the years, you heard them comment on this whole area of, of race and uh, what race should be, according to, to them. And here we have this daughter coming, this granddaughter coming, that's biracial. Well, everybody fell in line after a while. You know, there were some questions, some frowns at first. But th those all disappeared, and they came to understand, well, that's what God is doing for us. Just like Brad and Murr adopted that little girl out of a marketplace of sin, drugs and alcohol, as they adopted her, so Jesus, or God is adopting us as joint heirs with his son, Jesus Christ. So we are all children of God. It's a beautiful picture. And it's a beautiful picture that we should, we should be able to, to have in our lives and transcend. I heard a, a message this, this week on, on uh, some of the racism issues towards Israel. Well, that should, that should never be found in a, in, a, in a church. Any kind of issues like that, race-oriented, it should never be found. It should never be found economically. Pastors preach that many times. Or any other way that we parcel out and we, we kind of become little groups with our own ideologies and ideas and our own theology, unfortunately, of what adoption should or shouldn't be and what fellowship should or shouldn't be. Because in God's eyes, we're all alike. He separated people at Babel for a reason. 
But you know what? That's all going to come back together, and we're going to be as one. So the issue of adoption in verses, uh, in verses 14 through 17, just a precious portion of Scripture. And we're going to go on here. This transforming that takes place that allows us to be adopted as sons should, should exhibit itself in a spirit of glory, the, the future glory of believers. The anticipation of the future glory, verses 18 through 25, it starts out, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. And it goes on to talk about the bondage that creation was put in. Now, what does he mean there by creation? Uh, that, is, that is the physical creation around us. That does not include the human race that he's talking about. But it's the fall of the human race that caused creation to be cursed and to fall into this bondage that it had under sin. Because if you read down further in verse 20, 21, it says, um, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And, he, and in verse 23, he says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves. So Paul definitely separates the idea of creation from the human race. That's important simply because there are some, if you read some commentaries, that gets, that gets blend, blended together. And uh, that is inaccurate. And they have some results of that that would be outside of what we would call proper theology. We won't get into that. So... The creation was not willing to fall into this, but because of Adam's sin and all of man's sin since then, the creation has been cursed. And, you know, it's going to be a glorious thing when we get in the kingdom and we're back on this earth, and this earth is in the perfect form that God originally meant for it in the Garden of Eden. And that's going to happen. And we can look forward to that. That should be something that should excite us. It should be something that brings about a little bit of at least a smile on our face and, a, and this hope that we have in what God is going to do. Yeah. Is this changing of creation a two-step process that things are improved when we go into the millennial kingdom, but then the heavens and earth are ultimately remade when we go into the eternal state? My understanding would be, would be that that is done... Um, going into the kingdom, that the, that the creation has been restored to uh, its, its perfect position. That would be my understanding. You have any hand on that, Wayne? So you won't fall down the wall of the Grand Canyon, Wayne. Is <laughs> yeah. And we won't be fishing them because. <laughs> so my understanding of that would be that that takes place going into the kingdom, 
And in the kingdom, uh, Jesus rules as king, and we're servant to them. Now, we know that those people who are ushered into the kingdom coming out of the tribulation are going to have children. So there's still going to be rebellion that takes place during that thousand years, but it will not be real evident because Jesus Christ deals with it with a rod of iron. It's dealt with right away. Now, ultimately, when Satan is loosed, then we're going to see people follow Satan. But it's going to be a very short time, and then that's going to be, that's going to be uh, they're going to be cast in. That'll be the second judgment, the great white throne judgment, and they'll be cast into hell. But I think we're going to see a perfect heaven and a perfect earth as we go into the kingdom. That'd be my understanding. But that'd be something to maybe ask pastor or take a look at as we get into Revelation and see some of that that, that comes up. Because I know there's different thoughts on that. So if we're going to be good environmentalists, we should seek the kingdom of God? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be, that would be a, yeah, that, that would be an answer to that, wouldn't it? So let's, uh, let's finish up this here, this area. So now we're, gonna, we're moving into the issue of the spirit of glory, verses 18 through 30. I just read verse 18. That the, for the, with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And that's a marvelous thought as we look forward to, to this idea of the glory of God that's being revealed to us. And I, I'm just going to touch on a couple of things here. I'm going to jump around more than I planned on just for the sake of time. But in verses 20, in verse, uh, uh, okay, we talked about the creation. In verse 23, it says, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly await, there's the word again, for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So we, we, are, in the, we are in the present state of waiting for that, but we should have our eye on that. And the Spirit helps us, it says in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us. In what ways? We're going to drop down to verse 28, familiar verse. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. In verse 28, we, we think of uh, the blessed hope in Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is a ransom for us. Um, and uh, that blessed hope is something that we look forward to. Here, I think we see two things. Paul identifies the Christians from a human direction, where he says, uh, and we know that for those who love God, he's identifying a group of people. Hopefully that group of people is, is who we all are, as people who love God. And then he goes on to the other side of it, and he deals with the fact of a divine direction, for good and for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, <clears throat> that's a word called that has, I've been to Bible conferences and heard all kinds of different thoughts and ideas on that issue of being called. <clears throat> what I want to do is a little exercise here and look at a group of words, and then we're going to reverse that, okay, for the sake of time. He says, those who are called... And then he goes on, he says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined 
to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. He, he, he puts that in there. And he says, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, what does the word predicate mean? If you say, this is predicated on this, what would that mean? Based on? Okay. Okay, something that happened. And it's either an experience or a truth that is, that is actual. So let's take this backward, because I'm not going to get into these words. You can do that with pastor uh, and try to define them and explain them. But this is, this is something I found helpful. I also find this helpful in Romans chapter 10, where he says, you know, for whosoever call upon the name of the Lord should be saved. How can they call on him whom they have not believed? How can they believe in him whom they have not heard? How can they hear without a preacher? How can they preach except they be sent? Well, if you take and reverse those and work them backwards, I find that very helpful. So let's do that in verse, uh, uh, end of verse 30 where it says glorified. You're glorified because you've been justified. You're justified because you've been called. You're called because you were predestined, and you're predestined because you were foreknown. Now, all those are in past tense, even glorified. Now, we know we're not glorified yet. Just look around at each other. We know we're not glorified. So that's going to happen in the future, but everything's in the past tense. Why? Because it's God who's done that. And from, and from somewhere in eternity past, God started this whole process by foreknowing. He foreknew what he was going to do in establishing creation. He foreknew what he's going to do with Adam and Eve. He foreknew that Adam and Eve were going to sin and fall. He foreknew every person in this room in eternity past. Now, we don't like to think of it this way, and I understand there's a free will of man, but the reality is God foreknew, he predestined, he called, he justified, and he'll ultimately glorify. And it's all, and, and what this should do is not make us upset about uh, what we'd call predestination or foreknowledge. It should not make us upset. This is all part of what he's talking about under the heading of the glory that we shall receive and the understanding that we should have in the ultimate glory of God and his benevolence to us. I am so thankful that God chose me so thankful, because the older I get and the more I understand the word of God, the more I understand I had nothing to do with it. It was God who foreknew. It was God who predestined. And, that's, and do the same thing when we get to Romans 10, we'll have that same exercise. Go backwards on that. Because he was sent so he could preach. He preached so they could hear. They heard so they could believe. They believed because they were called. It, it just works its way back. And when you think of it that way, at least that helps me to, to come a, to a better understanding and a better acceptance of what God is doing here. So let's close out the last part of this chapter with verses uh, 31 and on. 
And we're going to see two things here. God's work for us in Christ and God's love for us in Christ. And the first one, what should we say? There's questions, a whole series of questions are asked here. What should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now that's coming on the tail of what we just saw with the foreknowledge and predestination. What can we say to these things? Is he talking about that or is he talking about the whole part of uh, chapters 5 through 8 or everything from 1 through 8 because he's going to have a definite change in subject here? I'm not sure of that. But whatever it is, we can at least take a look back and rethink what have we gone through so far in Romans. What should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now that's coming from a, from a man in Paul here who uh, we're going to see here gives a whole list of things in a few verses of, uh, uh, in verse 35, uh, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, and all these things. And he probably, he probably was a recipient of every one of those things in his own life. So we know there are things that happen to us in life. We know Josiah had a, a appendix rupture, and now they had to do two weeks of medication, and now surgery. Well, we look at those things, and why? Why? If God loves us, why? Well, the reality is we're human. And our human bodies fail us at different stages, at different times, but they fail us. But the reality, all of these things that he talks about, including our final glory, are in the hands of God. They're in the hands of God. We can be content. That's what faith is. We can be content with it. We don't, we're not always happy with it, but we can be content with it because we can understand God is allowing this for a purpose, and we need to seek the purpose. And I wish as a young Christian in my 20s and 30s, I had a lot better understanding of that than I, than I did then. I'd have been a lot more content, and uh, I, I'm prone to kind of want to fix things that are out of whack, not mechanical things. I let somebody else do that. But fixed things that are out of whack, and you want to do that. And sometimes you have to step back and say, no, just let that go. God's in charge, and God will take care of it. God will deal with it. But we do have one thing here in verse 33. He says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Well, I think we know who that is, the accuser. And the accuser will bring charges against us. But whether it's man or whether it's Satan or the issues we go through, the bottom line is, they will fail. Ultimately, they will fail. So that's, God's at work for us in Jesus Christ. Then God loves us, uh, for his, God's love for us in Jesus Christ, verses 35 to the end. And then we're going to close this section out. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now, we already alluded to that. <clears throat> And the reality is nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. We can separate ourselves from fellowship with Christ, but we can never separate ourselves from the love of Christ. And that's hard to comprehend, isn't it? Because we as humans find ourselves getting angry, being at odds with people, and even to the point where you're almost you're thinking in your mind, I just hate that person. You know, and we, we have that attitude, but we shouldn't as Christians. That's the same attitude, we, you know, when it comes to uh, uh, people uh, we see in the political realm. 
we, we shouldn't have those attitudes of, of hate and mocking and stuff like that because God has placed them there and God's will will prevail. No matter how we feel about it, God's will will prevail. So we should be content and we should operate our lives then by faith. And that's what we have here in the love of Christ. And he goes on in verses 38 and 39. He says, 37, he says, we are more than conquerors. But he says, I am sure in verse 38 that neither death nor life, and I think that's talking about the totality of the human experience. We live and we die. The physical death. That's the reality of the human experience. Neither death nor life. Angels or rulers, I believe that's talking about the, the spirit world, the, the evil spirit world, if you will. Angels or, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come. No matter where we are in the history of our life or in the history of mankind, if you want to expand that, it would probably be a proper thing to do that. No matter where you are in that historical part, they're included in that. Nor powers, some would see that as... A, Evil spirits, again, some see it as the terrestrial, and some see it as human rulers. It doesn't make any difference uh, from the standpoint of what the end result is. Nor height, nor depth. And that might be uh, the, the, the uh, people of that time were very precluded to be in the astronomical and study of stars and stuff like that. We even saw that at the birth of Jesus, you know, with the, with the uh, wise men coming. But even in, the, even in those areas, the, the height, and the, the, the depth or the width, any of those things cannot separate us. Nothing in creation will ever separate us from the love of God. The totality of life, the totality of the universe, the totality of the, of the spirit powers, uh, as much as they'll be at work. You know, some say that one of the reasons that we see all this anti-Semitism taking place is is Satan is thinking if he can get rid of the Jewish population, that that will stop the plan of God to come back and restore uh, the Jews as a, as a nation. Well, good luck with that, because I don't care if the whole world turns on them. God's on their side as a nation. They're God's people. Well, by the same thing here, no matter what happens to us, no matter what happens in our life, we are more than conquerors, in verse 37, and the freedom to experience life is the freedom that we have in the Spirit of God that allow us to experience death and eternity with him. So we see here this whole freedom issue in chapter 8 of the Spirit of God is just a beautiful and wonderful thing that we should really treasure and, and, uh, and hold on to, Okay? Any thoughts? Otherwise, uh, we are a few minutes over, and Jason's patiently, patiently, hear that, waiting for me. Okay, thank you so much.